The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome back to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. Happy New Year! No pressure 2022. 2020 was bleak. 2021 was somehow even worse. So all you've got to do 2022 is be bang average. We believe in you. But do you believe in you, listener? Oh, are you struggling a bit with FM22? Did you start your Christmas break all confident, mentally plotting out long-term reign at your favourite club, only to get yourself sacked by December 22? And again on December 26th. My dear old thing, you're in good company. We are here to help. Hey, speaking of long reigns, we've got a new feature for you. What would Fergie do? And we'll be speaking to someone who's got a better idea than most. We've got more than a score with Live Score. We've got absolutely loads of your letters, and well, we should really get cracking, shouldn't we? So, this Christmas, I took a proper break. See, I never got a Christmas break when I was a football writer because of, well, you know, all the football. I certainly didn't get one when I was running a business because if you're listening to this and you run your own business, you know why. And we can't tell anyone else because then no one would ever start a business again and will have single-handedly wrecked the British economy. Uh, Anyway, I turned my MacBook off on December 22nd and it pretty much stayed off until yesterday. And that laptop is where my Newcastle save lives. But I have another laptop, a bigger, more spectacular Razer 17 laptop. And that one got a lot of use. Lots of Skyrim, lots of Civ 6, fair bit of Stardew Valley, because me and my 10-year-old dual travelling cup game, and I'm really good at fishing. It was lovely. But what wasn't lovely was FM 22. Because straight out of the blocks, I ruined my Aberdeen save. I panicked. I bought Charlie Austin for reasons that I can't quite recall. I changed my tactics. I slid down the table and I just ruined it. I, I started a new game with Everton. I tried to get them playing controlled possession football. That was a disaster. I lost almost every game. I tried an unemployed start, parachuted into Schalke, somehow managed to make them worse. Whatever I did, it went wrong, and I bet I'm not the only one. And so with that in mind, please welcome back to the show CJ Ramson of Sports Interactive. CJ, for those who don't know, what exactly do you do all day? Hi guys, thanks for having me back. I am the QA AI match lead, so I'm in charge of the tactics and the player roles, and I do a lot of the testing to make sure everything balanced and working correctly and feels like real life. Well, you are the perfect person then, because some people, when they have a run of failure like mine, well, they do what I did and they go off and play Civilization VI. <laughs> some take the last refuge of the coward and reinstall an old version of Football Manager, and I've been particularly guilty of this in the past. But some people just walk away completely, and we don't want that um, because, you know, there are listeners, and I like this job. So let's talk easy solutions to critical problems. Now, in the experience of the QA team and in the work that you do with Football Manager, what are some of the most common mistakes that perpetual failures are making? So there's a whole range of kind of common mistakes with Football Manager. We've tried to make it more streamlined now with the preset tactics and there's lots of tutorials in game as well to try and show people not what to do but kind of give people a helping hand but um we'll go more into detail but the most simple way I can say it is finding a tactic which suits the players in your team because I feel the role of a manager is to kind of get the most out of the squad you have so if you can kind of get something that works well for your team then you'll be on to a good start. One thing that people occasionally do is they don't entirely understand the starting experience thing where you put in your coaching badges. That makes a huge, huge difference, doesn't it? So if the simplest bit of advice to anyone who's struggling would be just make yourself all the coaching badges and international continental player. I mean, if you want the easiest experience, I'd definitely say that's the best way to do it. And I wouldn't say it's particularly unrealistic because most managers, even in the lower leagues, they have some sort of kind of international experience or professional experience. But football manager, it doesn't have a difficulty setting. So I guess the closest thing to a kind of easy or hard difficulty would be your starting experience. So... um. 
yeah, if you want to make it a really big challenge for yourself, go with no coaching badges and no experience. If you want to kind of make it a bit easier, get the respect of the team a bit earlier, then I'd say go international experience. But I like to go with the tick box of suggested experience for whichever club I'm managing. I think that's a kind of fair way to go about things. This game, I mean, it's not easy. It's really hard. And I think a lot of people are like me and they've played older versions where I'm not saying it's easy, but there were older versions where if you just threw a good tactic at a team and just left them to it and occasionally bought some better players, they'd be absolutely fine. So your starting club's really important. If you are really, really struggling, it might be worth just picking a better club to start with. Not maybe for your one game to rule them all but just to just to get back in and start having fun again and if you want to do that have a listen to last I think it was last week's episode where we had uh, Julien Laurent talking about PSG um, because CJ that it makes a difference doesn't it this game can be hard if you pick the wrong club oh most definitely most definitely you see it in real life I always make the note of kind of Real football managers, it's such an important thing to pick the right club to start with. I kind of, you compare the careers of, say, Steven Gerrard and Thierry Henry. Like, Steven Gerrard went in kind of at Rangers, which is a nice, good club to start with, got a chance to build them up. And now his next job, Aston Villa, that was another kind of good club where he had a good squad to work with that obviously suits his style of play, where Henry kind of went in with a struggling Monaco team and then he struggled with them and then he kind of ended up going to MLS and that was a struggle so it's really important both in real life to kind of pick the right job but especially on football managers to pick the type of challenge that you'd like to have but it's quite a common thing and I even do it myself where the first save you do on football manager is usually with a big team just to get a feel of the game to kind of have fun I mean I've done the PSG save I've done the Newcastle save just to use these squads and kind of see what they're like and then once you once you feel confident in what you can do then you go and go into a bit of a bigger challenge exactly uh doing too much too quickly that can be a problem for for a lot of people can't it oh most definitely so um we have a challenge every year we do within the staff at Football Manager where somebody will pick a team we will have to manage that same team with the same save and there's a scoring system and whoever kind of does the most there's lots of mini challenges like top scorer how far you get in the cup competitions and then whoever gets the highest score basically wins and this year it was with Southend in the National League and you've probably seen yeah you've probably seen kind of their struggles in real life and and how it's going with them and we even had an edited database which kind of had all of their real injuries that they have and their transfer embargo and all the rest of it. I was playing that over Christmas and that was an eye-opener to the real challenges of the game. That was a good example of doing too much too quickly. I went into that team trying to play out of the back and trying to press high and do a kind of and press National League tactic and I did not have the squad to deliver what I was trying to do. So I always say stick with your base first. I'm guessing internally that was probably less like a football manager competition and more like a game of Fortnite where it's just like, (laughs) who's the last man standing after 45 minutes? Yeah, literally Battle Royale. I mean, at the beginning you had so many people like, yeah, I'm going to play this, yeah, I'm going to play this. By the end, there was not many people that made it to the end of the season. I personally did quite well. I managed to get a fifth place finish, which I'll I'll throw that out there. (laughs) So I was quite happy with how I'd done. It was a struggle and it taught me some lessons about not doing too much too quickly and listening to my own advice of sticking with your squad and sticking to what your squad's good at. Next one is doing too much in general. I am horrifically guilty of this. I will always try and manage every team. All the youth teams are micromanage the coaches, I'll assign the scouts myself. It can all get a bit much, even when it is literally your job because you're just you're thinking about too many things and you're not concentrating on the basics. I'm sure someone out there is having a long legacy game where they do all of this and they do it all really well, but I think for most mortals, delegation is a key, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's something I've always liked to do in this game since when I've ever first started playing. I like the fact you can kind of hire a director of football and have them take over some things and have your staff do other things and your assistant your assistant help you out. I feel do what you you think is important for yourself so take a hand into the tactics if you feel that your tactics need changing but if you if you're getting results with your tactics then you don't have to kind of completely do an overhaul of everything there even on the tactics screen itself in terms of your team instructions um, you don't need kind of every single instruction set especially if you have player roles set as well if you've got a deep line playmaker you don't have to kind of have player instructions on top of him to 
pass even shorter and do other things because he's going to do that if that's his style of play anyway. So kind of giving your team and I guess your staff some space to breathe and not trying to micromanage everything will make your job easier in the long run. Okay, I think this is a really important one. Don't give up too soon. Again, I've been guilty of this in the past. And in all honesty, if I was just playing that Newcastle save I've been writing about for fun, I probably would have given up at some point in the winter, somewhere in that 12 games without a win kind of run. But I'm now on a run of 12 games with only one defeat and and slowly turning it around. There are so many occasions, I think, where you just get a couple of bad results and you think, oh, no, I don't like this. I'm going to have to do something else. Yeah, things can turn around just like in real life. Just to reference back to the South End save, I was maybe 15th in November and I had a really strong December, took a deep breath, went back to the tactics board and managed to turn things around. Usually it's not a massive change you need either. Sometimes it might just be a small thing. So not saying it's the go-to thing to do, but in that save, the only real change I made was drop my defensive line back just a little bit lower and um, changed my goal kicks to play instead of trying to hit the fullback, just played it over the top for my strikers. And like even a small change like that can um, make a difference to your results. A lot of it's about looking at where your goals are being conceded from, where your chances are coming from, if you're not converting them and trying to maximise those. So the data hub, especially if you're using a bigger team as well with um, really good analyst staff, that's a good place to go to for some advice. But it's a long, long season. You forget it's 38 games or 42 games or whichever league you're playing in. And so having a bit of patience and sticking with your team usually pays off. Confidence and cohesion is key in this one, isn't it? Yeah, and that's another thing to do with patience. I mean, you're not, you're not going to walk in the door day one and have your team understand your tactics, especially if you're trying to play a counter-press, inverted wing-backs, <laughs> all sorts of things that I see people try to do. Having a bit of patience with your team, letting them know the tactics, sticking with training, having them work on the match tactics and training, it can really pay off if you stick with it in the long run. Square pegs in round holes. Now, sometimes this can work in that you, you might drop a forward back into midfield and start working on their on their individual training and it could turn out to be the greatest thing ever. And sometimes it can be like that time when Kevin Keegan tried to play Gareth Southgate in midfield against Germany at Wembley. <laughs> the game gives you a lot of clues as to where you should be playing players, doesn't it? Yeah, um, this is something that I used to be really guilty of and working on the game now, I've kind of realised it's not usually the way to go. But saying that, in that same kind of South End save I'm referencing, I had my best striker and I thought, oh, I'm going to play him as a number 10 to get him on the ball a lot more and try and build the game around him. It wasn't working. I moved him back to striker and he ended up being my top scorer. So sometimes it's literally just keeping your round pegs in your round holes and kind of getting the most out of your players in their best positions. And even if you have a player who looks weaker on paper, playing him in his best position will usually be better than playing somebody else out of position in his role. Now, if all else fails, you can lean heavily on the advice of your coaches. Now, obviously, this will depend upon you actually having good coaches. But if you take over a club that has got a good support staff and you go to tactics, it will have three little thumbs, won't it, on the on the tactical presets mm-hmm. and then one little thumb on the best formation. And you can even ask the coaches to pick your team for you. If you do that, the one thing I think you can pretty much count on is it is not going to go horribly, horribly wrong. No, and those kind of little thumbs aren't completely random either. So they are quite accurate to what your team's strengths are. And this is something I always notice. I end up going with the tactic that the fun choose, not even on purpose, just whatever I think is best seem to usually match, usually match what my staff are telling me. And um, a good trick is always do a quick pick. As soon as you get your team, pick, quick pick, just have a look at what they choose. You can clear it straight afterwards, but it's just interesting to see what the staff think and then afterwards see does it match yourself. Sometimes you might not agree with your staff, you see that in real life, where an assistant takes over after a manager gets sacked and kind of changes half the team and you're thinking, well, he obviously wasn't thinking what the manager was thinking, but... um, Always good as well to get some good staff in. I know we spoke about not doing too much in general, but that's one thing I like to do early in the game is replace the staff members that I'm not too confident in and get some like-minded individuals around me. All right, so I know there will be people listening to this show who are cracking through the Pentagon Challenge and piling up imaginary trophies, and they're probably listening to this going, what are you all talking about? But this show has always been for the people who just aren't having quite as much fun as they know that potentially they can have. So if you've had a Christmas like me, 
and you've crashed and burned at every club you've started and you, you feel angry as well because that was a whole load of time off and you could have got three or four seasons deep. Here is a review. Set your starting experience higher. If you keep setting it too low, the game's going to be harder. Pick an easier challenge. Just get back on the horse. Pick a better club. Pick a more stable club. Don't do too much too quickly. Don't overload your players with orders. Don't spend eight hours micromanaging scouting assignments. Don't do too much in general. Just just delegate stuff. Get used to it. Learn how to ride this horse. Don't give up too soon. Sometimes you can just get really unlucky and have some bad results. Let your players build in confidence. Let the cohesion build in the team. Don't don't go until you get sacked. Square pegs in round holes. Just follow follow the advice that you're getting. The game is trying to make you better. It's not always right, but if you're really struggling, you could do a lot worse than just listen to it. CJ, is is there anything else? Any other bit of advice you'll give to someone who may or may not have spent the Christmas holiday in tears? <laughs> I feel that we covered most of the um, key parts, but just to touch back on tactics, I would say with the player roles, try not to overcomplicate them. And if you have a combination that works really well, stick with it. I, I was kind of using a kind of box-to-box midfielder with a ball-winning midfielder. It's not something I usually use. I usually like to have a deep-line playmaker in there, but I didn't have a deep-line playmaker style in my team. So I switched it up and it worked really well. So um, always try and get the player roles which work best for the players you have rather than trying to kind of force your players into a, into a style that doesn't suit them. CJ Ramsom of Sports Interactive, thank you uh, very, very sincerely from the bottom of my heart. (laughs) Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's more than a score. It's live score. So, what's all this about then? Well, with LiveScore, which I'm certain you have all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action, stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands. Players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. Essentially, it's a guide to exciting new saves. And where's more exciting than taps well in Wales, Barry Collins? There are quite a few places that are probably more exciting, if I'm being brutally honest, but it's definitely a challenge. I mean, this is the uh, semi-rural village known locally as the Gates to the Valleys. It sounds pretty (laughs) exciting. If you've seen the ground, if you you look it up on uh, Google, Google Images, it looks fantastic. Stuck in the middle of the rolling valleys, it looks absolutely beautiful. I love a stadium with a nice view. I've always loved turf more in Burnley for precisely that reason, that you look out over the stand and see hills and mills and, and all sorts. But Tafswell, what division are they in? They are in the JD Kumu South, and apologies if I've pronounced that wrong, but that is the 238th strongest league in Europe, according to the game. And it's sandwiched between the Israeli B League and the Azerbaijani Lower League, which gives you some indication of what kind of level we're playing at here. Now, the reason we're talking about this is that you are the author of the excellent Friday FM mail out, which is one of the few mail outs that I've subscribed to and haven't immediately unsubscribed to. Um, where, where can I find out more about that, first of all? You can find that at uh, FridayFM.net and you can sign up uh, for a subscription there. And it's entirely free, of course. Well, do that. Because you've been talking about managing uh, TAFs well, uh, and as you say, it is almost as low as you can go. It is so low that quite a lot of players literally don't earn any money. Almost all of the players don't earn any money. I mean, you start with a weekly budget, wage budget, of £361. The hardest thing in that club is trying to convince players to come and play for you for like £3 a week. You're literally haggling over pounds uh, <laughs> just to get them to come and sign it is i spend at least half the save just getting hundreds of players in on trial and then begging one of them just to stay around long enough to play for me little known fact i signed for falmouth town in what was then i think the the one of the the southern leagues the cornish league i signed for their third team as a goalkeeper and decisions on who you played for were made largely on who your mates played for or what the social club at that particular football club was like. You haven't really got any of those options. Is there anything you can do to lure players in? Not really. I mean, I had one guy called Miles Lieburn in, in, in pre-season. He's six foot four. He had 15 for heading and jumping. He was like playing 
Ibra at League One level. He was amazing. And he wanted £50 a week. I offered him £80 a week, but he wouldn't stay because he felt the club uh, down the road had better players. So even on in that rare occasion where you can actually afford to bribe a player with an extra 10 or a week, they will largely just ignore that and go and play for a better club anyway. So it, it really is desperately difficult to sign anyone. But you've, you've hit upon one of the ways in which you can succeed there. I think the lowest I've been recently is the, the Scottish fourth division. Um, but down at this level, even more so, physical attributes can change everything, can't they? Absolutely. I mean, from the start, I've been playing a bang it long tactic because it's buying lottery tickets, basically. You're just hitting it long, hoping the defender's so bad that it bounces off his head somewhere into the path of your striker and they get a shot on goal. The whole idea of any kind of advanced tactics when you're training twice a week on a Tuesday and Thursday night, if they even bother to turn up, is just well beyond them. You just hit it long, get a big lad up front uh, and hope for the best. And how's that worked out for you? It's, I've done, it did all right. In the first season, I was I was sort of in the top two or three for the first 12 games and then we just got battered later in the season with injuries and players leaving and whatever. Second season, I started dismally because I had that big lad. I signed him pre-season, couldn't convince him to sign. And they went for another like 10 target men trialists before I finally got the mercurial George Cowmeadow, an 18-year-old from Swindon, uh, to sign for me. And now he's banging in the goals. And we've just got into that position where, you, you know, you hit that groove in FM where everything is just working and the tactics right and uh, your players are all fit. And I'm, I'm, I'm really almost frightened to play the next game because I know it's going to fall apart at some point, but I'm up into fourth or fifth at the moment. So there's only one promotion spot in this league. So I'm just putting everything into trying to get to that top spot now. Yeah, I I remember that feeling of uh, everything being in its groove. I think I last felt it in FM 17. Um, (laughs) But it's surprising that that you are struggling to attract people because Tafswell is, of course, the inspiration behind the movie The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill But Came Down a Mountain. And it is also a location in the Sky sitcom Stella, which uh, stars Ruth Jones, uh, not according to this Wikipedia page. Have you been sort of inspired to find out more about Tafswell? Well, I really want to go there. Last year, a group of my friends, we went up to Fort William, which was beautiful in Scotland. And we travelled all the way up there and the game got called off because of rain. So we spent sort of 10 hours drinking in their clubhouse. But we're desperate to go over to Tafswell when, uh, you know, the plague lifts and people can travel again. So (laughs) it's on our list. Well, if anyone's listening from the club, uh, do get in touch and and we'll put everyone together. So uh, most people don't play this level. Most people actually don't know what the stats are, but I would imagine most people will pick either big clubs or clubs that used to be big that they want to make big. What is the reason behind picking this and and why has it proved so much fun? Well, I just wanted to try something different because I've I've done non-league challenges in England a few times and I've been to Germany and Spain in different games and I just thought, I try a league I've never played before. And actually, I know know I've said it's like half it is really hard to convince players to join. But when you do get that player to sign, and often it's like at the moment, I've got a 15-year-old who is the linchpin of my centre midfield. And every time I scream at them at halftime for playing badly, I'm worried Esther Ranson's going to burst in the door (laughs) and uh, get me off to social services. But once you find a player, and it's so hard to get those players that the feeling of, sheer analoid joy that you've managed to sign a player who can actually walk in the right direction is superb so i'm actually really enjoying it well, one of the good things you can do at this level and if you write off any sort of hopes of ambition is just to this works particularly well if you have a slow computer just run the welsh league on its own and sometimes it can be good to actually turn off real player names as well um, because then you've got a world of new gens and they, they do interesting things. You build up your own sort of alternative reality. Is that something you've done or are you using this as a stepping stone to gradually work your way up to, you know, Ballot Town? I'm sort of just playing it by ear, to be honest. I'm really enjoying the save at the moment. And I think once getting to the next stage where there are sort of semi-pro teams or professional teams with actual budgets, I think that could really... If I do get promoted, I think I'm in massive, massive trouble. But we'll, we'll see where we go. I've got loads of leagues loaded at the moment because I've got a quite spiky Mac and I, I <laughs> like to run my big databases. But um, I've definitely done that on the past on ropey laptops as well. 
Well, that is Taff's Well, home, of course, to the only thermal spring in Wales. Uh, that tepid water is thought to rise along a fault line from the Carboniferous Limestone in a somewhat similar manner to the warm springs at Bristol and Bath. Barry Collins, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us again, where can we find, where can we sign up for Friday FM? It's at FridayFM.net. Do that. It's got loads of good stuff, just funny stuff and hints and tips and links to interesting stuff. So get on that. I promise you, you will not regret it. Barry, thank you so much. That was It's More Than a Score with LiveScore. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the LiveScore app. And it's completely free. So just search for it on the App Store or Google Play right now. Is your New Year's resolution to read better stuff? It really should be. Time is a resource, and you shouldn't waste it reading rubbish just because it's free. You're better than that. People who have the brains and the attention span to play football manager should be checking out The Athletic. It's the best writers writing the best stuff, and I am also there. Because you listen to this show, you can get a very special deal. So go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod and find out more. That's theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Go on, read better in 2022. Now, if you are a subscriber to The Athletic, you might have noticed a feature by me on November 25th where I tried to imagine what a 40-something Sir Alex Ferguson would do with the present-day Manchester United. And then my daughter got COVID and I had to take some time off to, you know, push pizza under a door and read Harry Potter through the keyhole. Long and short of it is we never got back to it. But we're getting back to it now. We're going to do it properly now. It's not going to be like the Newcastle series. We're taking a sort of wide-angle, dynastic look at this. Uh, Not least because... The idea of going season by season. I mean, nobody could survive that long at United without winning trophies now. So instead, we'll break it into sections. And first up is the foundation phase. And here to discuss the reality of uh, Sir Alex's ascent to Old Trafford is the Athletics' own Andy Mitten, the founder of the United We Stand fanzine and the author of gazillions of books about Manchester United. Andy, welcome to the show. Good to join you. Looking forward to it. Excellent stuff. It's uh, that that kind of optimism at the beginning of the interview. It's, it's fleeting, but I like it while it's there. Let's kill it straight away. Manchester United right now. That I mean, there, there are lots of clubs in worse shape, but they're a real mess for for a club with such enormous resources. They've got themselves in a right old pickle, haven't they? Yeah, I've just been at all the games over the Christmas period, and even when Manchester United were not losing, as they did to Wolves, they were not playing well at all there's not been a new manager bounce Ralph Rangnick he speaks well he comes across well when he speaks to people like me in the media but the fans are not stupid they know what they're watching and the football has been really poor United have been lucky to scrape 1-0 wins against Palace and against Norwich but the one all draw at a Newcastle team who'd won one of 19 was really poor and Wolves fully deserve to win at Old Trafford And it's worrying, it's alarming for Manchester United fans because, as you say, there are some really big names in that very well-renumerated squad. It's just not coming together at all. So, Andy, present-day Manchester United are in a bit of a hole, but it really is nothing compared to October 1986 for younger listeners. Manchester United had almost ended a very, very long trophy drought the season previous with Ron Atkinson. He had won, I think, the first 10 games on the bounce the previous season, but then United had tailed off. They hadn't recovered, and the beginning of this season, it goes horribly wrong, doesn't it? And by the time Ferguson's called in, they're not far above the relegation zone. Yeah, it was a terrible start to the 86-87 season for Manchester United, As you rightly said, the previous season, United had won the first 10 league games and were looking pretty strong to win a first title since 67. But then the injuries kicked in and I spoke to Brian Robson about this recently. Brian Robson was the captain by a distance, the best player. But there were very good players in that team. Uh, People like Mark Hughes, uh, Paul McGrath, the defender. Uh, One name which Brian Robson picked out was Gordon Strachan a little bit later on has been a top, top player. And his main point was we didn't have a squad. We had a really good first 11, but we didn't have a squad. And Liverpool had a squad. Now, 
Move to 86, and Ron Atkinson was still in charge. And I've spoke to all the interested parties in this. So Martin Edwards, the chairman, felt that he'd taken his eye off the ball. He wasn't giving sufficient attention. And when results started badly and got even worse, Ron Atkinson lost his job. So as a young lad in Manchester in school at the time, in the pre-internet age, I can remember this buzz going around school. We were like 13 years old. Atkinson's been sacked. Atkinson's been sacked. And it was just like wildfire. It was a major event. It was it was a JFK event for a young lad in Manchester. <laughs> in the part of Manchester I was from, which was mainly United, but some of my best friends were City fans and good City fans who'd, who'd watched the team home and away. And Alex Ferguson came in and... There was no new manager bounce. Results were really bad when he first came in. <laughs> well, they lost to Oxford with the first game, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Going to your Oxfords and your Wimbledons and losing games in front of ten and eleven thousand people. And Ferguson realised the scale of the job. It was a huge job that he had on, just like Ralph Rangnick has got on at the moment. But United didn't have the resources then. United. When they'd appointed Ron Atkinson in 81, he was the fourth choice because United didn't have the money to buy out other managerial candidates who they wanted, like Bobby Robson or Laurie McMenemy from Southampton. So Alex Ferguson had lots of issues. He had to change the culture of the club. The players were not shy about having a night out. There were lots of social conveners who thought that the, the way forward for a good team spirit was to have nine pints and sometimes a little bit too close to, to matches. That said, Liverpool, who were winning everything, they also had their drinkers too. And United were struggling. Gates were down, and there was a bounce in that second season uh, that Fergie was there, 87-88. United finished second, but were never, never in a title race. And then after that, it got worse and worse. So three years in, you saw that famous banner, three years of excuses, Tara Fergie and most Manchester United fans wanted Sir Alex Ferguson to be sacked the low point would have been December 1989 gates were down to 34,000 at Old Trafford and in that time we launched a fanzine called United We Stand so don't ever accuse us of being glory hunters I can remember <laughs> I can remember being excited when we first stood outside Old Trafford and we were only kids at the prospect that if United won a game against Chelsea, would move right up to eighth. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wouldn't it be great to see Manchester United in eighth position? That is how bad it was. So let's talk a little bit about football in the 80s. Uh, one thing that uh, I remember you writing years ago was the, the great thing about Manchester United in those days was a paperboy could get in on, on his paperboy wages. Um uh, that's certainly changed. But the thing I want to talk about is the, the relative lack of tactical variety. Now, there is a, a little bit of stuff happening, but generally speaking, most teams play 4-4-2. Uh, most teams man-mark. And that's pretty much what Fergie does, um, certainly in, in that first season, isn't it? He's got the target man of Frank Stapleton. Um, he's got Gordon Strachan on one wing, Jesper Olsen on the other. Uh, and it's pretty sort of basic British football. British football being that the manager was British and had had so much success in Scotland with Aberdeen, punching way above their weight, uh, breaking the old firm duopoly. And Ferguson had to work with what he had. He wasn't a lot of money to go out and buy new players. That didn't come on tap for a few years. And he was dealing with a, a team who were really low on confidence, a team who'd lost six of the first nine league uh, matches. And he had to somehow get Manchester United out of 20th. Manchester United were 20th in the league when Ferguson took over for that first game. United were going down and had gone down in the 70s. So when Ferguson got his first win at home to QPR uh, after three matches, 1-0, John Beck, who was um, a Danish uh, fullback with a wicked shot, he got the goal. But he was relying... On the plays he had, Norman Whiteside was a very good player, but he would pick injuries up. And he was Fergie's first form player. He managed to get United back up to 11th and stayed at 11th, but that was a lot better than 20th. And highlights with you, 
One of the interesting things about this period is he gives his squad quite a lot of time. It's only at the start of his first full season that Brian McClare comes in and Viv Anderson. So that's a forward and a right back for younger listeners. If he took over the squad now, what what do you think would be the two positions he'd look to um, spend money on? I think a dominant central midfielder. However, United and very few teams are playing a 4-4-2 now. But the main area for criticism for Manchester United of late is that the likes of Scott McTominay, Fred Nemanja Matic are not at the same level as the lads at Liverpool, um, Kovacic and Kante at Chelsea and at Manchester City. So Scott McTominay, I think he's a very good player and I think there's absolute merit in keeping him at Manchester United. These lads aren't being put forward to win the Ballon d'Or each year and, and Manchester United traditionally had great great midfielders historically and more recently with people like Roy Keane and Paul Scholes and, and David Beckham I mean I think midfield but I don't think it's just about individuals I think so much is missing at Manchester United at the moment and what Ferguson would bring is a fight and togetherness and he'd make some difficult decisions as well he never shied away from dropping players even big, big name players like like Beckham. And United have spent a lot of money. There's a lot of talent at that club at the moment. And the, 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 the sum of their parts has never reached the, where they should be. Manchester United is seventh in the league at the moment and have been pretty ropey in, in cup competitions as well. Now, one of the great things, I mean, there are many great aspects of Ferguson's management, but I think one of the key was how adaptable he was. He wasn't welded to anything or anyone. Um, now, in our first run at recreating this sort of scenario on Football Manager, we went a bit too tight and we had extremely tight man marking with a 4-4-2 and it was a disaster because hardly anyone else plays 4-4-2 these days, so everyone was getting tugged out of position. If Ferguson came back, 40-something Ferguson, at Manchester United, do you th- what, what sort of tactic tactics do you think he'd play? He was adaptable and he was never praised for being a great tactician, but there were times when he was ahead of what people gave him credit for. So if you go back to 2001, he started to switch away from the, the 4-4-2 and... He brought in Juan Sebastian Verón, who was a fantastic player, and he tried to fit him into into a system. He tried playing with one up front, usually Ruud van Nistelrooy, which was difficult for the players around him. People like Diego Forlan, who were very good players, weren't getting the chances that they wanted. But what he also did was he built a squad. So the mistake of the the mid-80s was not having a squad. So he famously had York and Cole, who clicked together, at the start of the treble season. That was never intentional. They just clicked one day at Southampton. But if one of them was injured or one of them was out of form or one of them was irritating the manager, he had Sheringham, he had Solskjaer, he brought them on in the final of the European Cup. They both scored. Manchester United won the treble. So he made great use of a squad. And that was something he'd not been able to do when he first came to the club. So with this reenactment on Football Manager, we're sticking to four concrete rules to recreate what we think Ferguson in his 40s at present day Manchester United would be. So rule number one, I just want to run these past you. You are the authority, so let's hope this all checks out. Rule number one, the club comes first, player power does not exist. So if players kick off, players get sold. Is that fair? Yes, it's fair. And fan heroes like Paul McGrath and Norman Whiteside were sold and there was a huge stink when they were sold but Fergie's view was they're either not professional enough or they're injury prone and he made really difficult decisions he reconciled his relationship with those individuals in later years but it was all about the club so your point is true because he knew he knew that he'd lose his job and that the patience wasn't limitless even though he had a a lot of patience from the club Okay, rule number two, character is crucial. Everybody fights, no one quits. Two points if you can name the movie that's from. So all players have to have a determination of 15 minimum, particularly in these early stages. Ferguson is accumulating warriors, isn't he? Yeah, and I I can't get the two points because I can't name the movie that it's from. (laughs) Starship Troopers. (laughs) Okay, He he, he did have warriors. He wanted people who would give absolutely everything to their team 
be, be, be really professional. He wanted to cut out the drinking culture, and he did do. And Brian Robson was his great captain, and he brought in players like Steve Bruce, who was definitely a warrior, playing in defence. Others less so. Neil Webb was a silky midfielder who was less of a warrior, and he just got rid of him. And the players he got rid of tended to go downhill. He brought Mark Hughes back from Barcelona and Bayern Munich, definitely a warrior. He'd been a hero in his first time at Old Trafford and sold before Fergie uh, came. Ferguson brought him back, and Hughes and McLare up front would serve him pretty well for a, a number of years. Completely different types of strikers, but McLare had been the first player since the 1960s to score 20 league goals, so he was a bit of a fan hero. Fans would sing, he's here, he's there, he's everywhere, Brian McLare, <laughs> and a very bright man too. Rule number three, grow your own talent, trust your own talent. So it's not just a case of having good youth players. You've got to put them in the team, even if no one else thinks they're ready. Absolutely integral to the success of modern-day Manchester United. Ferguson saw that Manchester City, among others, were getting the best local talent. City had a very good youth team, and had their club been more stable, would have been far better. So you have players coming through like Paul Lake or Ian Brightwell, David White, Andy Hinchcliffe, and their high point was beating United 5-1 at Main Road in September 89. What Ferguson did was bring in people like Nobby Styles, former player, Brian Kidd, former player, and said, get Manchester sewn up. Manchester's a football city. It produces footballers. Why are we losing Mancunians? Why have some of them playing for West Bromwich Albion? Why are they playing for Ipswich Town? And that meant that Kiddo spotted people like Paul Scholes. United also expanded, um, not just in Greater Manchester, but across, mainly across England and a little bit in Scotland. Darren Fletcher would come from Scotland. David Beckham came. And they did have the advantage because it was Manchester United, because it was a huge club. You had lads like Beckham who lived in London. His dad was a Manchester United fan and he wanted to play for Manchester United. But youth recruitment... Um, became really important. That said, finally on this point, United did have a very good youth team before Fergie came. In one team which uh, reached the FA Youth Cup final, you had Clayton Blackmore, Norman Whiteside, Mark Hughes. So there were always talented young players coming through, but Ferguson made it a priority. And worth mentioning just very, very briefly as well that this isn't just a class of 92 thing. You know, you've got Lee Sharp coming from Torquay and getting in the first team um, all the way to uh, Federico Macheda um, being thrown in up front for Manchester United in the middle of a title battle. So this is a, a consistent theme. Uh, rule number four, just before we wrap up, is delegate, but never be afraid to reboot. So there's there's no micromanagement here. You know, we're, we're not going to manage the under-18s or the under-23s. We're going to get good people to do stuff what they're good at. I'm going to wrap up here. So what we're doing with the foundation section, which will be up on The Athletic uh, as soon as I finish the first season, we are going 4-4-2. There's going to be wingers, split strikers, and the aim of the game is not just to obviously win football matches, but we need to fill that dressing room up with warriors. So uh, you, you mentioned him earlier. We are looking for Steve Bruce types by the halfway point of season two. In our next chapter, Ascent, the plan will be to slowly cultivate a more creative style, ideally with the addition of a mercurial French deep-lying striker and a terrifying Danish goalkeeper. Then we move to uh, Dynasty, where we phase out the Warriors with homegrown players, or some of the Warriors anyway. Dominance, where we make the game look easy. And then we'll see where we are from there. If it's really realistic, we'll have two seasons of mediocrity with Eric Jemba Jemba and Cleberson. The fans will call for my head, and then I'll unearth the Wonder Kid to end all Wonder Kids and win the league three times on the spin. But hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Andy Mitten from The Athletic, um, thank you so much. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And of course, if you want to read any of that, you'll need to get yourself a subscription to The Athletic. And you know how, theathletic.com forward slash FM pod. Hey, if you want to have a crack at this as well, I'd love to hear how you get on. How will you tell me? Well, like this. It's your letters. And you can, of course, write to us at imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games. God, we've got so many letters. Producer Steve, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. How are you? Nope. No time. <laughs> that is all the time we have for gentle back and forth. Uh, we have to go straight into the letters. I, I 
God knows how many we got. So a lot of these were really long letters and they're beautifully written and they have been read, but we have had to heavily edit in order to, to try to get everybody on, or at least as many as we can. So let's bounce straight in. I've got one from Jason Scrivener. He says, how do I get myself on Football Manager? I am the head of performance analysis at Chorley FC in the National League North, but I found the club doesn't have a head of performance analysis in the game. Can you use your contacts to help me get into the game? I don't mind if my stats are rubbish. I just want to be in it. Jason, I forwarded your email to Football Manager. I have no influence whatsoever, but I've I've done everything I can. So who knows? Maybe, maybe you'll, you'll end up in there uh, later on. Uh, Alan Curran. Uh, says he's loving live score more than a score section. He just got back into Football Manager. He's playing online with his son. Oh, I love this. He's purchased a VR set and using an app called Wanderer, which uses Google Earth images from all around the world. Uh, he's managing Hamburg, and before every away game, he virtually visits the opposition's town and stadium, where on most occasions the app allows you onto the touchline of the pitch inside the ground, where in full 360-degree VR, I can see where I'll be taking my lads to play their next game strange behavior some may say from a grown man no alan i think that's absolutely fine (laughs) there's absolutely nothing wrong with that and i am i am intensely jealous dave bonnell everyone's gonna be jealous of dave bonnell or dave bonnell it could be one of the two his wife bought him a gillingham tactics pad and pen and a copy of the football manager guide to football management which you can find on amazon if you so wish because i i wrote that one and she wrote him a beautiful card saying this is for you to jot down all of your strategic ideas in your other career that's one of the most understanding partners i've seen in connection to this game. Uh, he did ask, what do you jot down in your notepad while you're playing? Usually it's just uh, haunting doodles and uh, pleas for help, uh, but sometimes just promising players I've noticed or set piece um, things. James Bowers is another madman who started the Pentagon Challenge. He reports he's done enough in Singapore to get a job in China. And uh, now he's rising up the table with Shenzhen, despite having some very unhappy players. More importantly, he's racking up the coaching badges. Remember the Pentagon Challenge, you start with nothing whatsoever and have to win, well, pretty much everything. Producer Steve, you've got even more letters. Yes, yeah, so we've got questions now. And the first one is from Dan Turner. And he says, I'm managing Deportiva La Coruña in La Liga, which he genuinely started before it was on live scores more than the score. Of course, Alvaro Romeo told us about Deportivo a few episodes back. Um, Dan's got a tip for us. Set your screen up so that when viewing the squad, you can view the following. Release clause, relegation release clause, active relegation release clause, and foreign club release clause. And it's particularly useful, however, for the relegation release clause, as you can simply keep tabs on clubs maybe around March and see who's going to be available on the cheap. So really hunt down those talents from relegated sides. So thanks very much for that tip there, Dan. Matt Lester, he writes in to say, after three seasons, I failed in the target I set myself. I wanted to return Doncaster Rovers to the Arsenal of the North status. There's glory days under Sean O'Driscoll and the glorious 2008 League One playoff campaign. Do you have any memories of, of that particular, those Hallison days with Doncaster, Ian? Yes. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Southend getting absolutely gubbed in the playoff semi-final. I also remember the final because I, I was there um, reporting for the new paper in Singapore at Wembley Stadium. And it was Doncaster against Leeds in the final. And Doncaster won. It was an a, absolutely amazing game. So, no, I do remember that well. So, unfortunately, Matt failed to do this. And now he says, I'm left in limbo. Do I continue with this this save where I'm now unemployed in the summer of 2024? Or do I start from scratch at, for example, Farsi Celtic or Bradford Park Avenue in Yorkshire? Or do I go north of the border at Edinburgh City or somewhere else entirely? Now, what do we think, Ian? I say stay. The game gets better the longer you go on. I'm reliably informed, um, given that I just walked out of my Aberdeen save in a strop. Um, but it's 2024. You'll have built up loads of information about the person that you you, you are, um, your style of management. So I, I say just sit unemployed and wait and see who comes to pick you up. Because, you know, I, I read what, what Matt's done. He's done very, very well with Doncaster. I'm sure he'll get another job. Keep it going. Fantastic. Well, I hope that's helpful for you, Matt. Eric Pfeiffer is next up and says, when being an international manager i assume it would be best to load leagues where players are playing could i just have all leagues as view only and still have stats gathered 
or do I need to have the leagues where my potential players play in as playable? I'm looking to have a fully immersive experience whilst not exploding my MacBook. Here's a secret that will help Eric, who frequently plays as the, the US manager. He says in the email, if you alter the size of the database, it will alter the players that are in the game without having to do the more memory intensive thing of actually running the league. So you'll find a little option for either a small, medium or large database. If you have a large database, it will populate the game with way more players, but it won't drain your computer quite as much as it would if you had you know, 16 different nations running. So there's a little tip if you've got the slower computer. I reckon we've got time for one more. We do. And it's going to come from Rory McCabe. Rory says, I won three trophies during my two year stint at Bohemians in Ireland and even came within 15 minutes of a huge upset away at Shakhtar Donetsk, which would have put me through to the group stages of the Europa Conference League. After all this, I decided that I wanted to move on to bigger things. I saw out my contract and started applying for new jobs. However, I can't seem to find anyone to take me, only other Irish clubs. What do I do? Uh, well, I totally feel your pain. A few years ago, I had a save with Morton and took him up from the Scottish 4th to the Scottish 2nd, which I felt was absolutely enough to earn me a job at a higher level. But unfortunately, I was the only person in the game who thought that. And, and <laughs> I also just sat unemployed for ages. The lesson learned is it's unwise to try to make the jump before other clubs start actively coming in for you. The game will tell you when it's time because you'll start getting little um, questions from journalists saying, this manager's under pressure. Have you considered stealing his job and his livelihood? <laughs> um, so that will be a clue as to, to when it's time. But that's no good now, obviously. One thing that, that you can do is you can add leagues into the game even after you've started. So if you're only running a couple get into preferences, I think it's it's on, and, and start adding a few leagues where it might be realistic that you could get. Now, if you've won trophies with Bohemians, unfortunately, it's not going to take you too far because of the reputation of the league, but you should be able to get sort of Scottish lower division teams or, you know, English conference, things like that. But, you know, you might, might even want to take a trip to Wales like Barry Collins earlier. So have a look at that. Be patient. Put, put your manager on holiday and wait for a job to come up, that kind of thing. And, and I hope the game comes back together because it's so annoying when you've been having fun and doing really well and then it, it all grinds to a halt. If you've got letters and, and there are people who have sent them in over the past two weeks that we just didn't have time for and we're going to try and squeeze them in next week, but you can still write to us, imacintosh at theathletic.com or on Twitter, Ian underscore games. And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests were Andy Mitten from The Athletic, CJ Ramson from Sports Interactive, Barry Collins, author of FM Friday. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and my New Year's resolution is to continue to be Ian McIntosh. The Athletic.